Welcome to the Surrender Podcast. Surrender is a collective of Christian groups and organisations from across Australia. We work in unity to share Jesus' call to seek his kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. We create spaces for the sharing of stories that motivate, support and equip people to love their neighbour, share good news and live justly, both locally and globally. Please note, Surrender provides spaces for conversation and storytelling and does not necessarily endorse the personal views of any one presenter. Laura is a passionate advocate and speaker against the objectification of women and girls and sexualisation of young people in today's culture. I'm going to share with you today a, a bit of my personal story, a bit of my, um, my experience of love God, love neighbour, love enemy, but mostly the love enemy side of it. So how God has shown me grace, how I've seen God's grace and how that's kind of come out in love. And it starts with my personal story, um, but as you can see on the back of the screen, which says love kills porn, it's going to be talking a lot about pornography and sexualization and things like that as well. Um, hi guys, welcome. Hi. <laughs> um, so I'm going to see if I can move this actually. Yay! Nope, that's it. All right, so love kills porn. So there's, um, this is really going to annoy me. Pornography. <laughs> um, has anyone heard of Fight the New Drug by any chance? No, it's an, um, it's an anti-pornography campaigning movement and their slogan is porn kills love, which I absolutely agree with. But in the recent few months, um, I've had this concept come to me, what if love could kill porn? And I want to share with you guys today some personal stories of mine that really got me to that place to think, you know, we have a God with so much love to give and there's this juggernaut industry that's ruining a lot of people's lives. So what if we could really grab onto love as something that could take down a juggernaut like this? So I want to start with who I am. I am Laura. I'm 24. I... I'm from Melbourne and I studied marketing at high school, at uni, went to high school down the Mornington Peninsula and was your average teenage person. I drank loads at parties, I hooked up with lots of boys and I was just immersed in the culture. There's me at all the parties. I grew up thinking that to be successful, to find fulfillment, to find purpose and everything like that was actually within hooking up with boys, doing um, drugs, doing like drinking lots of parties and just being immersed in this culture that was constantly saying I wasn't good enough, I never looked good enough and what I thought was actually going to give me real happiness and what I thought was going to give me such joy and fulfilment left me feeling emptier. And I kept going along that for a long, long time. I started working in a creative agency. Um, I was, it was the whole shebang of um, drug, sex and rock and roll and I was working for companies like Imperial Tobacco Australia and alcohol companies and my life was very much one big party and I kept wanting to just go into it more and more and more and I was trying to climb this uh, social ladder and it just kept making me feel more unhappy, more insecure with myself and more anxious about what I was doing. 
it wasn't until I went to England for two years to travel Europe, which I partied around Europe for six months. But then my mum and dad said, why don't you go try church? Mum and dad are great, brilliant Christians. And I grew up as a Christian, but just went and did my own thing. And I went to St. Peter's in England, which is down in Brighton. And there I just had the incredible journey of two years refinding my faith. And I was able to really recognize God's grace and God's love in my life and how much purpose I had aside of you know what society thought I was aside of what a culture that said you've got to be this and you've got to look this way I was able to be in this environment that was so beautiful and with encouraging people that didn't encourage me just for the way I looked or for just the way that I was doing work and succeeding in life um, there were so many situations and it was the craziest two years ever I, um, it, took, it wasn't just like an overnight thing and I remember one story of what was so pivotal for me of God's grace was when I um, actually went to Glastonbury Festival. I was working for the church as well. So not only was I going to the church, but I was working for the church. And halfway through working for the church, I went to Glastonbury Festival and I got back stuck in my old ways and I went with a bunch of people from church. but. I ended up going and hanging out with a lot of people who I didn't go with and ended up like, doing drugs at Glastonbury and everything like that. Long story short, the uh, pastor at my church actually found out and sat me down. And it was the first time I'd ever been confronted with any of my kind of behaviours before in a negative context. And the way I thought he was going to deal with it was the complete opposite to how he actually dealt with it. He dealt with it with such grace and love. And he came from such a place of, thank you for being honest, let's talk about it, let's see how we can actually get you, you know, help that you need if you need help, or just explain it. And he recognised and he didn't judge me, he didn't put shame on me. And that was such a big part of my life because so much of the things that I kept hidden for so many people were kept hidden because of shame that I thought was associated kept hidden with the, the lies that I kept telling myself that people aren't going to like me if they actually find out who I am deep down inside. And so it was that idea that, you know, hold on a second, these people know my deep dark secrets now, but they're still loving me and they're still accepting me for who I am. So that was a huge moment. I then came back to Australia to sort out my visa. I tried to stay in England to plant a church. I had my whole life planned out, had the boyfriend there, was like, everything's great, my whole life's planned out. I came back in April last year to extend my visa. In the first week of being in Australia, met this lady, Melinda Tankard-Reese. Now, does anyone know who Melinda is? Yeah, I see lots of hands going up, yep. So Melinda and my mum actually were friends 25 years ago and we went to our local church and mum opened up the flyer and saw Melinda's face and was like, hold on a second, I know this lady. Um, and I was like, yeah, sure you do, mum. And then anyway, she comes over for lunch like the following week because she was speaking at our church that week as well. She comes over, mum's like, oh, she talks about the sexualization of girls in our culture. I was like, oh, great. That does not sound interesting whatsoever. Like, sounds really airy-fairy. Like, it'll just be like, you're beautiful and all that kind of stuff that I thought, it, that, you know, that's what I thought it was going to be. Man, was I surprised. I went to her presentation and it blew me away. I don't, has anyone seen her presentation before? Yeah, a few people. It's quite shocking. It's quite like in your face of like, these are the realities, but I think that's what I needed. It showed, what she does is she takes you on a, a landscape, um, a tour of our landscape in our culture and shows that the media, the marketing, the videos, 
the, um, just the culture, everything around us is saying that we have to be hypersexualized all the time. It's saying that, you know, we have to do all these certain things and if we don't, then we're not really normal. And some images that really stood out to me were just like slogans on kids' t-shirts, but like magazines especially. And like, I remember literally reading magazines being like, oh, this is what I have to do. And if I don't do this, then I'm not normal. Um, like Dolly and things like that when I was younger. And what she did is she helped me open my eyes to the culture around me that actually said, you know, you're not good enough. You don't look good enough, everything like that. But I was actually able to see it through eyes of, hold on a second, do they have my best interests at heart? Is this actually helping me or harming me? And I was able to recognize that the culture around me was really harming me. I was being emptied out by what was meant to be filling me up. And that was a huge revelation for me. <laughs> and God just like spurred something inside of me. And I was like, oh, I don't know what I'm feeling, but like I need to do something about this. Like I actually need to do something about this. Um, so. I started a change.org petition within, oh, so then met Melinda. I met Melinda on the Wednesday night. On the Thursday, I went up to the Justice Conference in Melbourne with her and had my eyes opened up to all these issues even more. And then the Monday after that, the boyfriend in England broke up with me and then the Wednesday after that, my visa got rejected. So it was kind of like all these things happened and it was, God was like, no England. And I was like, ah, what's going on? And then the Thursday, I started a campaign. Um, and I was like, I have no idea what's going on. But Melinda was like, I think you'd be great. I was like, I really want to do something. What can I do? So after having no experience whatsoever in running anything like this, I started a campaign. And it was to get Zoo Magazine out of Coles and Woolworths. Now, hands up if you've heard of Zoo Magazine. Yeah. So Zoo Magazine um, has some horrendous things in it that says like you've got to pick the skankiest, loosest one of the lot, fetch her a drink and separate her from the flock, which pretty much just says, boys, all you've got to do is get a girl drunk and she's all yours. And that was the culture around me. You just get drunk and you hook up with boys. That was it. And um, the thing with Zoo was that it called itself the Lads Weekly Bible. And it actually was read by 39,000 14 to 17 year olds a week. And we just, I was just like, if that's where young boys are going to for truths about relationships, how to treat girls, how to be a man, then no wonder we've got such a crisis on our hands. We decided to go after Coles and Woolworths because they pride themselves in their corporate responsibility and their care for the environment and everything like that. So we started a change.org petition. And in just a few weeks, we had over 39,000 signatures. And I was just completely blown away. I was being called up before I'd even got out of bed and out of my pajamas to do national media calls. And I was like, what is going on? <laughs> and I was so encouraged by the response because people wanted to get involved. This was something that really hit home with a lot of people, I think. And the media was so supportive because they could recognize how toxic this message was to young boys as well. Um, so so it, it, just, it just exploded. I did a video for The Guardian, which went like national, uh, global, and I was just, totally blown away. I hate public speaking and I actually hate like talking like this out loud, but I somehow with God's help found my voice in it all. And I kind of just kept rolling on and rolling on and I just kept being put into situations and it was crazy. So that's the video for the garden, Guardian. But then in so just a few weeks after all that happened, I was still trying to apply for my visa at this stage to go back to England because I was like, I'm going back to England, everything's going to be great. God had other plans, but I found out that 
Coles actually took down Zoo magazine and because Coles took it down, the whole magazine went under. So it totally took me by surprise by just actually stepping out in a bit of boldness, I was able to see some change and people wanted that as well. And it kind of gave me this whole new perception and whole new like set of eyes to see the culture around us. And Collective Shout, brilliant, in their anti, um, uh, they're a campaigning movement uh, for a world free of sexploitation. Now that's Melinda's book, so if porn is something that you're quite interested in and these issues surrounding it, that's a really great book to read. Collective Shout also have a stall up there, so I would definitely encourage you to go check that out. So, what this has all led me into is I'm not an activist at all. <laughs> um, Melinda made me get Twitter and I was like, I don't really want to, but like I had to get it and because it was such a brilliant tool to use. But I'm not an activist, but over the last six months, I've really found a voice that I feel like I can bring to this whole issue. And the more I research, the more I see the culture around us, I really think that it's being fueled by pornography. And it's an issue that's not being talked about. It's an issue that's definitely not being talked about in the church at all. <laughs> and the more and more I step into this whole field, the more and more it excites me to talk about it because it actually, I think, affects every single person. The statistics show, the research shows, but it's actually the stories that get me. It's the stories of my friends, it's the stories of myself, that of the, you know, the situations I've been in that have been fueled by boys who have watched really hardcore pornography and just thought it was normal. The thing that saddens me the most, I think, is that a lot of the time there's a lot of shame put it on it. So a lot of the time it's like a lot of boys who are like feeling shameful because they watch it and everything like that, but you're up against a multi-billion dollar industry who have done absolutely everything to get these young boys watching it. And so if we can come at this from a place of love and from a place of grace, and actually see that it's a culture that's sucking these kids into it and not a personal behaviour, then I think we'll be able to get some momentum on this topic within the church and outside the church. So I want to kind of take you on a bit of a tour of pornography, where it started, how it's accelerated, some research, some statistics, just to kind of get your mind working in that space for a bit. This is a bit of a timeline of what where porn's gone. Um, 0 AD to 2016. Now the first pre-1500s various erotic depictions in art were found. That was 1500s. 1500s first instances of modern pornography limited circulations of prints. Now we know in the 1500s the source of printing was very like sparse, like literally would like nothing. So the fact that that's even a thing, you know, we can just see that the source of printing, it's impossible that anyone could have really seen it unless they made it themselves. Hugh Hefner, so then we jump to 1953, Hugh Hefner publishes the first copy of Playboy. Now this is what I really want to draw on, is just in the last 20 years how much it's expanded. So the VCR made it possible for people to watch <laughs> pornography at home in 1980s, and then you jump to 1994 and the first website was dedicated to porn. In just a few years after that, the first smartphones with internet access to photo viewing had their capabilities. Now, I finished high school in 2009. I didn't have an iPhone at school. I had a Nokia and every one of my friends had those as well. And there, we didn't have this smartphone capability. My sister's in year 12 and even like my two youngers, uh, younger siblings as well, they all had smartphones. 
the amount of things that have increased, so the viewing of pornography and everything like that, has increased in just five years. You know what I mean? So this is like something that's happened in such a fast and short amount of time, even from when I was in high school. This kind of just shows the magnitude of how quickly this is moving. So in 2015, Pornhub was viewed 21.2 billion times in a year. So we can see that like in just five years, how much this has just accelerated past anyone's control. This is a summary, I guess, of like what kind of porn these kids are being exposed to. So 30 years ago, hardcore pornography usually meant the explicit depictions of sexual intercourse. Now, hardcore has no evil, uh, now has evolved and is increasingly dominated by the sadomasochistic themes, all involving scripts fusing sex with hatred and humiliation. Hardcore pornography now explores the world of perversion, while softcore is now that hardcore was a few years ago. Pretty much saying the kids, what they're exposed to at first exposure is horrendous. <laughs> like, you think of really bad porn in your head, it's like worse. <laughs> it's um, violent, it's completely dehumanizing, it's objectifying, and these poor kids are getting exposed to that at such a young age and thinking it's normal. Gone are the days of like a playboy under the couch kind of thing. I've never watched porn, I've never searched for porn, yet I'm still affected by porn. And that's because why we live in a pornified culture, we live in a pornified world, everything around us thanks to the media and everything like that, is showing this kind of pornified view of relationships, of what girls are meant to look like, what girls are meant to do, what boys are meant to look like, what boys are meant to do. And it all stems from this. So some examples are this. For, can, is that, can you see that? It's a bit glary. There's a little boy sitting on a car in a shopping mall and he's looking at two women on a billboard thing in front of him. This just shows that, you know, the poor boy, he didn't even want to look at that, but he just wanted to play on the car and that's what he ended up seeing. So you can see from such a young age, these boys get one message, that girls don't wear much, they all look the same, they certainly don't do much, and they're purely just their body parts. And equally, the girls grow up thinking that that's what they have to look like, and we know that. Like, we know that these girls have body image issues and everything like that, but we just... What I, what I really want to point out is how young this starts and how much it's just bombarded to them and not, they're not really given another option, really. So I think it's unfair on the young people. Now, this image Melinda showed, and it's from Zoo Weekly magazine, and it shows um, a woman cut in half, and it asks the people on their Facebook page to rate whether you want the top or the bottom. This was the image that I was like, nah, I need to do something, like, this is crazy because the comments are horrendous and it's all it is doing is fueling that idea that girls are purely their body parts. You're purely your bums or your boobs and saying that that's normal and saying that that's okay. So that was a big image that sparked my interest in all of this and the zoo campaign. Now some quick trends important news. A lot of people think it's all the older people but actually the largest group of porn consumers is 12 to 17. And when we look at the average age of first exposure, it's 11. Now, the porn industry is worth $13 billion. So they have every trick under the sun to try and get to kids. They've done the keystroke errors that kids make and actually dedicate porn sites to those keystroke errors. 
They have set up porn sites for cartoon characters. Everyone has their triple X. So these kids don't have to be looking for porn to find it. I have a lot of friends who have actually opened up to me about all of this uh, as I've started speaking in this space and kind of been dubbed the porn lady, which is not the best title to have, but oh well. The more stories I hear, I have friends that were addicted from the age of 11 to 13. I had someone message me yesterday, I spoke at a school in Sydney and he messaged me and he's like, I've been addicted since I was eight years old. And you know, like boys just saying, I didn't want to, I didn't want it. I just went like, I, it was just out there and I, it found me, you know? So these, a lot of boys and girls don't have to go looking for it. And because we're not talking about it, we're not educating them, we're not giving them another option. And because there's so much shame involved, it just kind of goes down this deep, deep dark area. This shows the magnitude <laughs> of how big this is. So the number of videos viewed on Pornhub in 2015 was that number. I'm not even going to try and say it out loud, but it's a big number. That's 12 videos viewed per person on earth. Now just quickly how porn in your brain works. So these are quotes from boys um, that I've talked to and it's Malcolm says, it lodges itself in your mind like a parasite, sucking away the rest of your inner life, and you kind of use it to answer everything and anything. It's like a drug. What happens is your mind it releases um, all these chemicals that are good chemicals. So these boys just kind of keep going along with it, keep going along with it. It's like a drug, you know. It's, but the problem is, is that we, if you have a drug addiction, you can go get help. There's not much out there for people with a porn addiction. And that really saddens me because the numbers show how many people do have this. So many of my friends have been harmed by it and say that they can't look at women the same way. They can't even like be home alone without this affecting them. There are some more programs that are kind of popping up over the place, accountability programs, which is awesome but there's nowhere near the amount that's needed at all. It, I've struggled with pornography for a long time and I hate it. I hate what it does to my mind and my perception of women. I hate how it can consume my thoughts. I hate the fact that I have to constantly fight and keep fighting for the rest of my life. Oliver, I have friends who one guy told me, you know, he recognized that he had a porn addiction he couldn't get help for ages because he was like, I actually have no one to talk to about this. Like, I don't know where to go. Like, where do I even go? He finally found some accountability online and found some help online. But when we kind of just kept talking, I was like, well, do you think you'll ever be free from this? And he was like, no, this is something that I'm going to have to take into my marriage. I'm going to take it in every, like, everywhere I go. But that breaks my heart, you know, like that absolutely breaks my heart. I think that We've got God on our side. So I see this as something that's not that, you know, I think that we can set people free from these addictions like any other addiction. But we've got to show that hope to those people as well. And I just don't think that's being carried across at all at the moment. How does it work? It releases serotonin in the brain that gives you good adrenaline feeling, which becomes associated with porn. These kids get a... Um, uh, get desensitized to a certain degree of porn so then they constantly want more and more and more and more and more and it, before they know it they're watching things that you know you can't even imagine um, I had my little sister had a party at our house and I got home and there was like a bunch of 18 year old drunk people there and I was like great and one of the boys just came up to me and was like oh you're the porn girl you go talk about porn and 
she likes schools. I was like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> Shall we chat? <laughs> and he actually just wanted to chat. Like, he was just like, oh, great. She might not judge me. She might not put a lot of shame on me. And, she, and he, so being 18, he was like, I've watched porn. I'm a teenage boy. That's what we do. But he recognized how screwed up it was. He was like, what they do on there is actually, like, gross. Like, it's actually messed up. Like, and the fact that he recognized that, I think, shows hope. Like, these kids don't want to be stuck in this. Yet, because of what that does to your brain, they kind of have no choice. And unless they're given another option, they're just going to keep going into it. How are relationships affected? Um, I think a lot of my friends within the church, outside the church, who have come to me, talk to me about it, say, the girls say, I feel cheated on. They found out their boyfriend watches porn. They, like, they feel cheated on. Or that, you know, what's wrong with me? What, why am I good enough? Like, the list really goes on. Like, you're pretty much doing what God created for two people, but you're doing it with a computer, you know? I've seen it re been reacted two ways. One with shame and one with grace and love. And when it's dealt with with shame, so a couple, they've, what, they've found out that one of them's watching porn and there's, she's instantly just like got defensive, got really like, what, like, what are you doing? Which is totally fair enough. Like, absolutely, that, that's our human natural instinct. But I've seen it been done with love and shame and obviously the shock at the start, and, uh, love and grace, and obviously there's shock at the start and there is this, you know, what is going on? But she was able to take a step back, look at the culture that kind of maybe got him there and then say, no, I am going to fight for this and I actually want to be able to be able to help you through this. I want to show you grace through this. I want to show God's love to you through this. And it's really sad that what, the, what God created for good, the enemy is using for bad. And so as soon as we start talking about things, as soon as we start bringing them out into the light, the enemy has no power over them anymore. And so I think that that's a real key, is to talk about these, encourage people in relationships, outside of relationships, to just have these open conversations. This is a great article called Tinder. Do you know what Tinder is? Does everyone know what Tinder is, kind of, a few people? Yeah. Um, so Tinder's like a dating app, and you pretty much have a face on there, and you swipe left or you swipe right if you like them or if you don't. And this is what everyone's doing. I literally go into schools and I'll be talking to year eight and I'll be like, all right, we'll bring up a Tinder slide. And we're like, who knows Tinder? Who's on Tinder? Everyone's hands up. And I'm like, what? Like, this is crazy. And it's used to like, just to go and like sleep with somebody and have sex with them and on your merry way. And it's just that totally like objectifying a person by their first looks. Like no one's being encouraged to get to know each other for, you know, the person they are, the faith that they have, the amazing passions that they have. A girl in a school the other day said, oh, no, no one dates anymore. Dating, that's so old-fashioned. Like, you just hook up. Like, that's just what you do. I was like, so no one ever goes on dates? Like, no one. And she's like, no. And then I look at my friends, and that doesn't even really happen with my friends either, like, who are around the 20s. This culture is kind of just created, I think, exactly this, the dawn of a dating apocalypse. <laughs> so these are some quotes taken from this article. It seems like girls don't have any control over the situation and it shouldn't be like that at all. Sex should stem from emotional intimacy and it's the opposite with us right now. I think it is really kind of destroying female self-image. It's body first, personality second. When there's so much pressure on these girls to look a certain way and you know to be judged on their looks and their appearance, the same with boys, from the start, like anxiety levels are through the roof. 
In the last five years, anxiety has increased by 55% in young people. And the more and more we speak to young people, the more they say how anxiety, unhappiness and depression and loneliness is just rampant throughout all of them. So I kind of was like, well, why is this? Why, like, why have we got all these girls with all of these thought processes that they're not good enough and everything? And it's a lot to do with this whole culture around us and the things that we're romanticizing and the things we're normalizing. Honestly, I feel like it's body, the body doesn't even matter as long as they're willing, it's that bad. Sex has become so easy. It's rare for a woman of our generation to meet a man who treats her like a priority instead of an option. I just love that quote. And these girls, you know, they're just kind of seeing themselves as an option. They're all getting asked to send sexy selfies and they're all getting asked to come over for Netflix and chills, which will just, which is pretty much just come over, watch a movie and have sex with me. And that's what they're thinking is friendship. And that's what really saddens me. Girls are getting ideas from magazines like Dolly. Oh my God, my boyfriend wants me to. It gives a step-to-step -step guide of how to do sexual acts. And this is for underage readers as well. Where are these girls getting any good role models? Boys get, you know, this. Porn in the church. Now, I am very passionate about speaking about this topic and I'm really passionate about speaking about it in the church because I think if the church can't speak about it, then who can? You know, we should be at the forefront of this. We've got love, we've got God on our side. and how are we not the ones standing up against this and stepping out in love? When I went back to England, once my visa had been rejected three times and I was like, fine, God, I get the idea. I um, went back to England, packed up my stuff, but it is while um, the campaign was going on. So all of a sudden I had all these boys coming up and talking to me, being like, I have a porn problem. I have a porn addiction. I don't know what to do. I don't want it. Da, 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 da. And I was like, I don't know what to do either. <laughs> like, don't talk to me, but um, was able to just chat to them. But they, a lot of them said, you know, there's no one in the talk to talk to, talk to them about it. It's not being preached from the top of the church. Um, some research and some studies say that 68% of males in the church are watching it and 15% of females are watching it. And so when something from like high up, you know, when youth leaders are involved in it, when pastors are involved in it, then of course they can't talk about it because there's this shame involved in it. So... Why are we putting that shame? Why are we associating that shame with it? Yes, it's bad, but sometimes, as you can see, hopefully from the previous slides, it's not their fault a lot of the time. They've fallen into this and they have no way out. And I think it's really, where I find hope is that actually, well, if it's not being talked about and it's kind of got this bad, well then what about if we talk about it? What about if we just bring it into the light? What if we were able to actually engage a conversation, normalize a conversation, and talk about it as openly as any other issue within the church. A church should be like a safe refuge place for broken people. And with this issue, it does not feel like that at all. But uh, there's like Triple X Church, and there are a lot of, like, there are people who are doing this, but not to the degree that is needed. Um, the people that are doing it is what gives me hope and that's really exciting as well. Porn is an enemy that will infiltrate and destroy churches from the top down and it will do so without a blink of an eye. This is from a website called Covenant Eyes, which is um, a brilliant uh, website for the church on these issues. You know, as you can see, it's a juggernaut. <laughs> 
another moment we're losing. And so I think it needs more conversations like this, more interactions with the people in your churches, with the people in your youth groups to kind of just open it up. We need to talk about it, is my point. Not do we need to talk about it from a place of shame and a place of like, oh, what you're doing is really wrong. You should not be doing that. Like, da 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 But actually just talk about the culture around them. Talk about how are you feeling in this? The thing I've noticed with young people as well is that they just want to be heard. They just want to have ears to listen. They want someone to get what they're going through. And they're feeling like they don't have that at the moment, I think. Um, at my youth group, a lot of the girls that I mentor actually you know say we we don't have anyone to talk to about any of this i'm getting all these pictures from boys who are sending me pictures of their genitals but i don't know what to do because no one's engaging them in a conversation about it they say friday night's the best night of the week because we get to come and we just get to have real chats with you guys and that to me is like yes that's what it's about <laughs> that's where the hope is and i think there's so much power in talking about it and actually just descent destigmatizing the issue um, around it and actually kind of just deconstructing it to make it less about an issue and more about the person and actually how they're feeling, how they're coping, how they're dealing with it is what is going on in their life, helping them or harming them. And at the moment, porn, unfortunately, is harming people. So a different narrative. What does it look like? I think at the moment we're given one narrative, which is what I said before, that idea that we're purely our bodies, that we have so much pressure to have multiple sexual partners, do what we see in porn, do what the culture says. But what does a different narrative look like? And I think that as Christians, you know, we're called to live counterculturally. And it was when I found my faith, when I refound my faith, that I was able to live that out and I was able to find true freedom because what the world was selling as freeing and in, um, liberating and empowering was actually making me a slave to myself. But it was only when I found Jesus that I was able to actually find that freedom. And oh my gosh, it's the best thing ever. <laughs> so like a different narrative, I think, is just at the moment offering an out for a lot of these kids, offering you know that option that it's not you, it's a culture around you that's making you like this and engaging in those conversations. Isaiah 61, now this verse is what I read pretty much the few days after I met Melinda and it has stuck with me ever since. And this is the message version. Announce freedom to all captives. Pornography is creating slaves of ourselves. It's creating this underground world that is just completely keeping us captive. and. God in Isaiah 61 has declared that, you know, we are to set the captives free with God's help. And to me, that's the most amazing thing ever, that all the people around us who are stuck in addictions, who are stuck in this um, culture that says they're not good enough and everything like that, you know, we were sent to preach the good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to announce freedom to all the captives, pardon all prisoners to announce the year of God's grace, like we need to be taking on this huge issue with all of those things in mind, I think, to because there are brokenhearted people from this issue. There are completely uh, like sick people as well and people who are complete cap in complete captivity because of this as well, feeling like they have no one to talk to, no one around them, they're all alone in this issue. 
Um, and so I think that's what we as Christians need to do is unite in this issue and actually share God's love in this. And the way that I want to tie it all in with what surrender's message is, which is amazing, the love God, love neighbor, love enemy, is that the love the enemy, you know, there's this porn world, $13 billion porn world that you want to hate because you're like, look what you're doing to this culture. Look what you're doing to this world. But as soon as you put hate into something, as soon as you put all that, you know, it just, it stirs it up even more inside of you and no fruit will come from that. But if we're able to love those people in the industry, if we're able to love those who are caught by this, if we're able to love those who encouraging it you know God's love will always win and if we're able to actually use that love that God's given us and is inside of us then we will hopefully see some change to this but I think at the moment it's really easy to get caught into that mind frame that it's like we need to just like shut everything down and um, you know be really angry at everybody for doing this but it's not going to get us anywhere too far or it will but it'll be surface level But if we actually want to get down a bit deeper, actually get to the roots, because these are such deeply rooted issues, especially individual issues, then it's only God's love that's going to heal that. And these people who are affected by porn, you know, it's a healing of the heart that needs to take place. And that's only when God's work can really work. It's not on us. It's no campaign that someone will create. It's no viral video that will change this. The only thing that will really change this is God's love and God's love working through us. So they say that porn kills love, but what if love kills porn? What if we were able to flip this on its head and actually use God's love as the vehicle to take down this juggernaut? Because at the end of the day, the only thing that gets me through, I'm like, well, God's already won. So let's just embark on this journey to work with God, to do what God's already doing in taking this down. And how that looks like, I don't know. Each day with God is crazy. You know, you, you, God reveals something new to me each day and I kind of just keep giving it to God and find myself doing things like this. And I'm like, all right, God. So I, I don't have any answers of how to do it, but I really think the only answer that I can give is God's love. And it's God's love ministering through us. So if there's people in your life that you can talk to about this, if there's if you yourself are struggling with this, then please speak up and talk to somebody. Like this is an issue that is just gonna get bigger the more and more we don't talk about it. But we have been given God's love to do that. I think this is also something that people's stories, you know, there's so much power in people's stories. Research, statistics, facts, they'll only get you so far. And we kind of know, yes, this is bad, but I think The way you receive stories, the way you actually relate with stories is so much deeper. So many different people will hear different parts of a story and get something different out of it. How God works through each individual is so unique. And I think if we're able to collect people's stories of how this is affecting them, how they feel like what's normal in their culture is actually harming them rather than helping them, we could collect that and actually do something with it. So I started just yesterday, um, what's normal.co. <laughs> Every day with God's crazy. Um, I spoke at a school in Sydney and I did a whole presentation similar to this, but on what's normal. And 
I argue that what we're normalising at the moment is really harmful for us. So the word normal in the dictionary means a um, conforming to a standard. But when that standard is really, really hurtful, you know, we have to look at, well, can we flip that standard on its head? Can we offer another standard? Can we create another standard? I want to engage the youth in this conversation. I want to engage young adults. I want to engage everybody in this conversation because I think it's a conversation that needs to be had and it needs to be had by the people. It doesn't need to, like, there's only so much that researchers, academics, things like that can do, which are obviously so, 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 so vital. But this is something that's affecting everyone. So engaging stories would be so useful. So that's dub what's normal.co. If you have a story, if you have friends that have stories, please go on there and share it. Um, it's all anonymous and the kind of aim is to put them on a website so people can really see that they're not alone in this. That hopefully by using someone else who's struggling with a similar thing, they'll be able to recognise, hey, that's worked for them. Maybe I could try that or things like that. I want to ask you guys some questions now. So I hope that like, you were able to see, I guess, how God's grace and love's worked in my life how I'm seeing it outworked in the schools I go into, in the conversations I have revolved around this issue. But how is this out, like, outworking in your life? So what situations when, what's the situation when you've been shown love when perhaps you didn't deserve it? How did it change things? So maybe if you're like around friends chat or if like you by yourself chat, like just think it to yourself or if you wanna talk to the person next to you, do that. But maybe just like reflect on this for five minutes or something. How did it change things? So when, you know, these, these people, for example, who are like watching porns and they're in a relationship, obviously that's not like right by the other person, but when the other person shows grace, such fruit will come from that. And my situation with like my um, pastor finding out that I was partying at Glastonbury, you know, he showed grace and such fruit came out of that. So what's in a situation that you perhaps have been in that you've been shown love? Have a think. <laughs> Just something to ponder on anyway. So might it, what might it look like to show love and grace to those who are struggling with pornography? I want to open it up to you guys. Any questions, discussion? Are you all still okay? Or did I talk really fast, probably? How are you guys dealing it within your circles? How do you think is a way we could deal with this? Examples of what's happened in your lives? Any questions? Anything? Happy to answer anything. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Because when you have shame and everything like that associated, it just keeps it in the dark. And so when, so when it, like, something's in the dark, you just think you're alone. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there's such power, I think, in speaking words out. I, um, I was at a little prayer meeting with just my friends and by a series of circumstances, someone was praying for me and then I was like, I just felt to ask, does anyone in the room have a porn addiction that they want prayer for? Like, I just said it out loud. <laughs> and there was maybe like 15 of us in the room and I was like, God, what are you doing? 
And one of these young boys just puts up his hand and I was like, all right. And I really just felt God to be like, you know what? Get this boy to just start speaking out the things. And the things he just like spoke out was just amazing. Like he was like, I don't want this Lord. Like I hate what my, what's it's doing to my mind. I hate what's the way that it's seeing, that I'm seeing women. Like he was speaking it out. And there was such power in that because when you speak things out, it defeats the enemy. Like you're like, no, don't have any place here. And to me, that was the most powerful thing. And you could just see God ministering to this guy. And like, we keep in contact and he's like completely like recovering from it and everything like that. And that, I think that idea that, you know, he had an option to talk about it. He had an option to speak and feel that he wasn't alone in that. So that was, yeah, exactly that whole idea of just taking away the stigma to it. I was just kind of like, all right, yeah. Not really. <laughs> so I think it's one of those things that it needs to be talked about with the parents. Absolutely. Um, a lot of the parents don't understand even though it's what's happening though. Like I'm not a parent. I'm only like five years older than half these kids I speak to. And I don't even know the degree to what they're dealing with things. And um, that there's this huge generational gap between how much they that like technology is advanced. And so parents don't quite understand really the degree of what these kids are experiencing. Like not even I know, like it's just like they're constantly on their phone, Snapchatting, sexting, like selfie, like it's ridiculous. But I think it's so important to just be able to speak about it with them. So, and just normally, I mean, I'm not a parenting expert or a guru or anything like that in that field, but I know how valuable it is when I can see it when parents and kids do have a, like a clear communication path between that and there's that, not that negative stigma. I wouldn't have talked to my parents about anything that I did and that was really harmful for me and it's not until later years that I've actually been able to open up about that. And I think I stayed quiet because I was so scared of the shame that was associated with it and the rules that I kind of grew up believing. So I don't know if that helps at all. <laughs> Yeah. 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 I mean, there's um, there's like simple things. I think well, not even simple. Th- well, the thing is, is like these kids are so tech savvy like you could put everything on your computer and you'd still find something or like you'd go to the schoolyard and your friends would show you're on the bus and everyone has school laptops and everything like that so it's a real hard game to play but just trying to keep those communication fields open I think would be the best yeah 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 Mm. Main doing the counselling and going back at his eyesight. Yeah. Resentment and bitterness because yeah. my parents separated. Yeah. So I was really disappointed with that. I just looked at the fruit, mm. and that's important. But deeper is to actually look at the root. Absolutely. Actually. Yeah. And that's not being explored enough. And I think as far as love and grace, actually helping the journey is why you would bring it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. This is such a deeply rooted issue. Mm. And that's just, yeah, it's huge. And we don't talk about it in no. information to say, look, I have struggled with it, and still someone has struggled. Yeah. Um, there's a whole lot of to all of us. There's all these silences of what do we say? Yeah. Yeah, it's not a quick fix, is it? Like, it's not like a... And then that's the problem, is that I think the generations... It's a very instantaneous generation. So when we're some, like when someone's feeling lonely or when someone's feeling insecure or anything, they'll find an instant quick fix for that, and pornography gives you that. Pornography gives you that quick fix for loneliness. It gives you that. Um, but absolutely, we're not getting to the roots of that. We're not getting to, well, why is these kids feeling lonely? Why are they feeling really like isolated and everything like why is that and uh, yeah I couldn't agree with more yeah Oh, Fifty Shades of Grey. Mm. Hello. So <laughs> Released on Valentine's Day as a romantic comedy, you know, like. Yeah. 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 Mm. Yeah, yeah, she does more of a big yeah. landscape of it all. How do you think then we get to the roots? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for being so open as well. That's a brilliant. Like that's what we need. We just need vulnerability. We need openness. We need like transparency. Because the more and more people do that, the more and the more stigmas will be broken down. So thank you. Mentoring, I think, is a big one as well. That you touched on that. I think um, a lot of kids just don't have an older, wiser person in their lives that they can talk to. Um, it's all about just online as well. So like kids are talking a lot of just online and not in real life. So they'll be able to get all deep and everything online, but in real life where, you know, you need your emotional connection. You need to be able to read people's emotions. They're losing that. 
and I, they actually said that to me. I was doing a little small group with um, private school kids in Sydney and boys and girls and I asked, you know, you have all this confidence to speak to each other online, but is it hard in real life? And they were like, yep, like we can't talk to each other in real life. Like, it was just, yeah. Like, I was like, what? So they're losing touch of even how to have like human, like basic like needs and just to be able to read each other. Yes, I know, I saw that. It's because everyone's just like, they've all got virtual online girlfriends. <laughs> <laughs> and another thing, Sarah, is that coming from a youthful background, that yeah. actually has primary um, wisdom is peer to peer. Yeah. So they're actually like, largely, they don't have adult data no. in their lives. So they no. are talking to one another and they're all co as confused. Yeah, well, exactly. That's the thing. They're all like, they all think that they can solve each other's problems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you're like, no. Or the media. Or, yeah, or they'll go to like websites, which will just, yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry, you just had a question there. With who are struggling with pornography? Um, or like? Yeah. And that's what we're hearing more and more. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't have any support yeah. Because I couldn't tell anyone yeah. 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 See, I can't even think of any resources for that specific. Like, there's, um, there's, oh yeah, I was about to say the well, there's the police. But like, yeah, absolutely. Like, you need to report. Like, a lot of like a lot of people don't know that sexual harassment's act, like it's illegal. Like, these kids, you know. So police is a huge one. But then there's also. Um, I'm not an expert in like the resources, but if anyone else has any ideas of resources, um, I'd love to like help you try and find some resources if that's helpful. So we can chat afterwards and like I can definitely help you do that. <laughs> yeah, because it's and that's the thing. No one knows where to go. No one knows who to talk to. And can I ask how old you are? I'm 16. Wow. Yeah. 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 That's all right. But some of my friends are still yeah. dealing with it. Gosh. So is it one boy? Yeah, one yeah. person who So I'd definitely try and report it. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. The thing is with one of those people that you may think he's abusive he's he has mental illness. Like yeah. he's yeah. you know, he's got a couple of Abuse things. is abuse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's yeah. Depending on the person that mm. you tell, it's a very tricky Okay. Well, we can chat afterwards if that's helpful and try and get some help because that's. Yeah. 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 Because that's what we're seeing. We're seeing such a rise in domestic. Do you work in domestic violence? Yeah. Because that's what we're seeing. Like. Um, Melinda has a lot more information on the more domestic violence side of things, but just such a rise in that because of, like even I saw on a current affair or something the other day, um, a, 
a model who was abused by her husband. Did anyone see that? And she leaked the footage on, on a news program. And it was just like this normal model woman who had a normal boyfriend who was fully abusing her. And it was, and she actually said, yeah, he's what he watches porn all the time. Da, 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 da. So it's actually like turning like into this callous behavior. And we're out seeing that in so many domestic violence situations. I can't help but think um, about things like rites of passage for both males and females, mm. the lack of. Yeah, absolutely. And that if there was you know, some sort, some form of rite of passage, yeah. it might just be as own. Oh, yeah, rite of passage at the moment is like going out and getting drunk and hooking out with people. That's yeah, what you do. It wasn't a healthy thing, yeah. a healthy idea of rites of passage, you know, mm. where that might lead. Mm. That would be amazing. In terms of you know, responsibility and accountability, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, That's huge, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 I did Red Frogs this. Does everyone know what Red Frogs is? Yeah. That was l such a life-changing week. And I was actually able to kind of like live out everything that I've been researching. And the situations that I found myself in with girls almost sending photos of their boobs to this random boy that they'd met the night before, or girls telling me stories of like, um, oh, I just lost my vision in India last night because that's what everyone else was doing. And I was like, but do you really want to? And they would be like, no. I was like, oh. And like stories of just um, boys dragging like girls away and telling me stories of what happened the night before. And then me being like, well, do you actually want to hook up with that boy? Like, do you want to? And she was like, well, I don't know. And I was like, well, you know, I explained some things and she was like, well, no, but I don't know what to do now because like he won't leave me alone. And I think I gave her some tips or something. I was like, just don't message him or whatever. And then apparently the night after, um, this boy came over to this girl and tried to like hook up with her and then she was like no I don't want to and then found me the next night and like ran over to me and she was like I said no I said no I was like yes <laughs> but it was such a beautiful moment because these kids don't know any different they have zero idea they have no other narrative so just allowing them to that permission to say no or to say, you know what, you're okay if you don't want to go out and have sex. You're okay if you don't want to go out and get absolutely smashed on the weekend. Like, that's okay too. Whereas we're not encouraging that. There's no rite of passage whatsoever for those kids that, you know, yeah. So that'd be good, something to start. There you go. <laughs> go start a rite of passage thing. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, so money. I don't know. Oh, I don't know. It's money. Like it's just it's it's horrendous. Like Collective Shout have been involved in a lot of campaigns to get artists like music artists I'm not allowed in the country who um, advocate violence against women in their lyrics. Um, and so Collective Shout's been super successful in not getting a lot of them. So like Tyler the Creator's one. Um, and so they're really proactive in that. But in terms of like, you know, how uh, celebrities, music stars, they're expected to do this sexualized script. And, you know, they have 
We had one girl be like, well, Beyonce says you should be empowered by your body and it's like okay to be like over-sexualized and things like that. And they were like, but Beyonce's really nice. Like, she, like, why would she do that if she's really nice? And I had to explain to them that, well, Beyonce is a brand. Like, there's about 50 people who are telling Beyonce what to do. Like, you know, and I think we don't recognize that enough that it's the big bad word of marketing and advertising and branding and it's just fueled by cash and yeah I don't, yeah <laughs> so we they, they don't have any alternatives there's no good role models i don't think that like out there that are quite mainstream um you have to kind of go searching for them a bit a lot of good role models that kids will have will be their youth leaders or teachers or people like that who are so underrated so encourage those guys <laughs> to with what they're doing because that's where I think we'll see change because it starts with relationships as well if we can have these relationships with the younger people yeah was it helpful was it insightful was it a bit eye-opening a bit shocking okay thanks <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm super new in this space as well, so like I do not have all the answers slash any of the answers, but it's something that I just feel super passionate about and just will try and keep talking to as many kids and people as I can and I encourage you guys to kind of raise your voice in it as well. And yeah, thanks for coming. So thanks guys, well done to you guys. This was one of many conversations recorded live at Surrender 16. We hope you found this podcast inspiring and thought-provoking. Please check in with us at surrender.org.au for more resources and opportunities to engage and connect with our wider movement.